I'm Emily Thede, author of This Vicious Grace, coming in summer 2022 from Wednesday Books. And I'm Anna, a teacher and a writer in the Query Trenches. And you're listening to Basic Pitches, where we... Two basic pitches... Break down the basics of writing and being a writer. Hello, Emily. Hello, Anna. And hello, Lendl. Hello. It's so exciting to be here. This is so fun. We're excited to talk to you. I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm going to probably have zero chill this whole time. (laughs) That's okay, because I also have zero chill, so it works out. (laughs) Yay! Lendl, your book is so – I mean, I love your book. I got to read it. Oh, back in the – I almost said back in the summer, and then I remembered that it's summer where you are right now. Um, six months ago, eight yeah, months ago, it was a while ago. I'm trying to remember which version you read. It was like still kind of early in the stages of being edited. Yeah, which is really cool because now I've been going back and reading the new version. Um, and the whole time I was reading it, this time I kept thinking, oh, this is such an Anna book. This is such an Anna book. Like it had just like clicked for me. Um, so like I was saying, oh. I love it as well. But there are also there's like a specific like subset of books that you just know like which of your friends are going to be the ones that just like lose it over it. And I was like, this is perfect. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. um, we could just take a look at the bottom shelf of my library over here. <laughs> Um, uprooted winter song. Uh, I I can name a couple more. I was like, I want to see the shelf do. now and see if there's anything that yeah. I like, haven't read. <laughs> I'll have to take. Yeah, a picture, I'm always looking for more. Sort of. sure. That was kind of why I like one of the reasons that I wrote like such as like I just craved so many more of those type of books and I could never find any. So I'm like, maybe I'll just write one. That's right. my favorite way to write a book is when you're like, I'm looking for something to read that hits this particular spot and I can't find it and therefore I'm going to write it myself. Like I think yeah. those books are so much fun. <laughs> exactly. Right. This fits right in that vibe of uh, like Bear and the Nightingale where it has this almost ethereal, I don't know, ethereal mm-hmm. quality to it. It's just, I don't know. Oh. I love it. It's right there. I love that. It's like an aesthetic made into words. Yeah. And you're <laughs> And so, you're so fantastic with aesthetics, too, with on Instagram. Like, I feel like it's so consistent. I feel like your personal vibe goes so beautifully with this book. Like, it's 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 really cool. I know. It's kind of – I mean, it is a little bit intentional. Like, I mean, it's not just like, oh, I'm just effortlessly, you know, like, matching my book. <laughs> but I think because I was – I guess still am a little bit. Like, I was an illustrator before I was a writer. Um, and so cool. I kind of – I guess that's how my brain works, like, very visually – um, so like a lot of like visual inspiration and matching up sort of things, photos, drawings and stuff with like what I write. So it's kind that's of, awesome. that's, yeah, yeah it's just really it, it, a d- platform for that. It's all through the book too. I mean, I feel like from the first line, like you just create such a great ambiance and I guess we should probably let you tell people what the book is about since yes. we know, but oh, listeners might not know yet. I, I have my elevator pitch that I wrote down. Yeah. Yeah. So That's like the third time that I was asked. I'm like, maybe I'll just put this on a piece of paper. Okay. Very smart. So Lake Search is a young adult gothic fantasy where a girl goes to live at a haunted house with the monster of Lake Search. And when she falls in love with him and discovers that he's cursed, she teams up with the Lord of the Dead to try and save him. No chills. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain the butterflies that are in my stomach. I just like, it feels like it's like, I love it because it's, of course, like that's the most sensible choice to make. If like, it's like, I fell in love with a monster who's cursed. I think I'll just team up with the Lord of the Dead because, you know, like he'll be able to help me. This is a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? 
And it's so perfectly YA, too. You know, yeah. like, whenever people try to say, you know, oh, like, young adult heroes and heroines, like, they're always making these choices that, like, that's not a good idea. And I always think, well, yeah, that's the fun of YA. Because you get to have these fantastic characters that make choices that are, they're guided by their their hearts and their emotions and their impulses. And they're not, you know, 50-year-olds who are thinking, I don't know, this could have negative consequences for my future. (laughs) Like, that's, and that's what makes a really fun book to me. So I love it. That was very much much. what I wanted to try and capture, that feeling of, like, being 17 and everything feeling so big and important and making these decisions that feel like a good choice at the time but probably aren't (laughs) I'm thinking of and I won't give spoilers but I'm thinking of um, some significant decisions that are made at the end of the book that yeah I I would argue that there are definitely things that you're like oh wait honey no 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 okay she's okay you're doing it you're doing it um and uh that sets up very nicely for the sequel Yeah, um, it's like, I think I like to joke that she's like that, you know, the DW, like the sign can't stop me. I can't read. Because everyone's like, anything you like, every time you get help from the Lord under, like it requires a sacrifice. She's like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I got it. This will be fine. Totally fine. fine. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. So can you remind us uh, when it comes out so that people will know? Hey, everyone. Just a note that when we were recording this way at the beginning of this year, Lindell's original release date was in October. It has been moved now to September 28th, 2021 this year. That is right around the corner. That is September 28th, 2021. I will try and remind you throughout the episode um, of that release date. So go pre-order it in the U.S. It's already released in Australia, but you can pre-order it in the U.S. And you definitely want to do that because there's been the talk of, you know, shortages. So pre-order, go get it because it's amazing. You're going to hear me fangirl about it a ton in this episode. Okay, bye. Yes. I yes. feel like publishers are really good at nailing like which book should come out around Halloween. Like well, I noticed they do a really great job of that. a funny sort of story because originally it was meant to come out this February, but because of COVID, um, there was some issues with like, I don't know, publishing, doing things. And so they had to yeah. shift a whole lot of titles to the end of the year. And originally I was like, you know, because you know what it's like, you sell the book and then you wait. And we had all this stuff timed so perfectly because we were like, we'll sit on the deal announcement and then we'll do the Publishers Weekly announcement just before the Bologna Book Fair. And then that'll build buzz for selling foreign rights. And then Bologna got canceled because of COVID. And then we did the announcement and it's like, okay, cool. It's like a countdown to like, you know, not even a year now until it comes out. And then it was like, actually, we're going to have to postpone it by almost a whole other year. But yeah. It, it was, like, stressful, but at the same time, it's been really nice to have, like, such a perfect season for the book. And it gave me, like, a lot more extra time to write the sequel. And, yeah, so it's it's been like, a lot of silver linings, even though it was, like, at the time quite stressful having it all shifted. Right. Yeah, and, and I covers- feel like this year everything is weird and strange and a little more time is probably good for everybody. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just been, like, a big, like, rolling with the punches, like, with everything. Kind of, yes. kind of, yeah. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. true. Um, I was just going to say that cover is going to fit in beautifully with October's. September, not October. September 28th, 2021. Go pre-order it right now. So not only is the story, but that cover. It is absolutely amazing. So the illustrator <sighs> was Rich Jayus, who did the cover for Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom and the original so cool. Grisha covers, you know, like the gray sort of with the, yeah, he did those. Um, and he did <sighs> Children of Blood and Bone and The Merciful Crow and The Faceless Hulk. I'm such a Rich Jayus fan, fan oh girl. Oh my god! But it was really funny because he'd sort of sent 
via my editor and said, could you send just a pinboard of like what the house looks like and what letters dresses look like? And so I sent a whole bunch of things back and then didn't see anything for ages. And then basically what I got sent was almost exactly what the finished cover looked like and I'm just like oh my god you nailed it like it's just perfect and I'll like I'm so amazed that like you just kind of got into my brain and drew the perfect cover first off so I feel really lucky to have had such a beautiful cover designers are such fascinating people to me like that whole process because I'm not quite there yet I'm at the stage where I just kind of like casually drop questions into the DMs of all the other authors at my imprint that are like six months ahead of me, just like, how's it going with the cover stuff? What does that look like? Because I'm so curious about how the process works. They always do the most amazing Um, covers too. I'm so excited to see what they come up with for yours. I love looking at the Wednesday design account and seeing how they Photoshop everything Isn't it cool? Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, for anyone listening, um, the I think it's just Wednesday design. Yeah, um, I think so. Is my imprints. They have just an Instagram account where they break down how they make some of the covers and how they like the different stages. They show because um, most of it is done, I think at Wednesday, most of it's done in-house. Like sometimes for the final step, um, they'll bring in outside artists, but they do a lot of the design themselves. And so it's really been cool to see what that process looks like. Because for me, I mean, I am such I'm such a writer person. I love words. I like creating things with words. But then if you ask me to create a visual image like with pictures, I have no idea what to do. So um, I think it's really cool. They're like translators almost. I know. And I think if I had to come up with a cover, like I would have come up with something completely different to what the finished product was. But it's ended up being so much more perfect than like, I think my original wish was like, I really wanted a cover that looked like the cover for Wilder Girls, like some kind of illustration, very ethereal. But like the one that Rich designed is so eye-catching and it looks like a movie poster and it's just perfect. So yeah. It's got that romantic vibe. It does. I kind of like how it looks like a real, like a pulpy, like romance novel as well a bit. (laughs) I love that. And you can feel like, I don't, like you said, looking at the cover, the cover is exactly what you get. So as soon as you open it, that first page, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, this matches. (laughs) This is what I wanted. Thank you very much. And I would also say it really gives that gothic vibe, which is funny because as Anna knows, I, if someone asks me what defines gothic romance, I have no idea. It's one of those know it when you see it things, but we'd I'd love to hear from you, Linda, someone who writes gothic romance. What do you consider gothic romance? That is like such a good question. And <laughs> I don't really know. Like I'm trying to think because like I said before, I just kind of wrote the sort of book that I wanted to read and I guess I was drawn to that kind of thing. And so it just became a gothic romance because that's what I enjoyed. But I don't know. I suppose it sort of sprung out of like, the traditional kind of ones like Jane Eyre. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others now. Wuthering no, Heights. Wuthering Heights. Yes, I'm just yeah. like my, every time somebody asks me about books, my brain is just like, I'm just gonna go now and leave you. With yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like that's sort of very like the wild sort of environment and a claustrophobic setting and this sort of like the fear of like whatever closing in and you're sort of trapped in the thing with you know a brooding hero who possibly may or may not be like a good romantic choice and I don't know I mean it's like know, perfect definition <laughs> such such that a classic resonating you've got that kind of like the wild environment and then she's sort of in this creepy house where there's like this weird stuff going on and then there's like the very Victorian you know like crazy wife in the attic and then they have like that supernatural thing where like she hears him calling when the house burns down at the end and I don't know it's just that yeah. kind of yeah. mix of 
I mean, there's like the gothic, obviously, where it's the kind of mix of like the familiar and the uncanny, but mixed in with like mm-hmm. the very lush like romance. I guess because gothic is so intimate like it's such a small stakes personal stakes sort of yeah there usually isn't a lot of interaction with the wider world now that I think about it it usually has a few characters that are like you said they're really enclosed in a certain location and so it's you're not seeing the towns and the cities around it you're seeing this small place and it creates that romantic tension but it also creates that sense of foreboding yeah because there is that sense that you can't like a romantic like a romantic plot fits very well with like that sort of thing because it's such a intimately like close-up focused kind of character development Mm -hmm. so it adds like a really nice layer to like the stakes of like a a gothic sort of horror as well totally it makes sense my english teacher brain was like firing off and i couldn't think i couldn't help but think of uh the fall of the house of usher i love um by poe it's such a great story because it's um, i'm thinking like that's you know penultimate gothic american like you know for america but it is that intimate setting of the outside world, what little there is, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And this small suffocating setting, like literally for the main character in House of Usher is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's this weird, uncanny, you know, storyline going on where everything else seems to be normal or everybody acts like it's normal. And that's a, that sense. I feel like is a key feature too. This sense that, like, Um, people, even if they're not telling the truth, often portray it kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, everything's totally fine here. And it's just (laughs) you. And as a reader, you're like, no, I'm confident everything is not fine here. And because it's so enclosed, it's it feels like it is the entire world. It's not just the character's world. Like, it feels Mm -hmm. like the entire story, like, that there are limits to where they can go. And Yeah. I mean, I think setting it in a house definitely reinforces that as well because you're, like, literally sort of enclosed by like the walls of the space Mm -hmm. and I don't know I liked having playing with the ideas of you know like the walls sound like there's voices inside them and the the house being kind of like I don't know if sentient is the right word but there's definitely like an aliveness to the house with how it's sort of decaying and there's plants growing over the outside of it and yeah as as well as mixing with like how when Lada first sees the Lord under it's like through a dream which so there's that kind of mix of like I think it's like the process is very much for her like she sort of has this thing where she sees him and then the next morning she wakes up and she's like oh I'm sure I just dreamed it but then she goes outside and sees like the very thing that she saw in her dream so it's like that real mix of like oh it's not real or is it or yeah I don't know I love that Mm -hmm. It's almost like the world itself is gaslighting the main character yes, to a certain extent. Yes, that's very, like, that feeling is very, like, gothic. Yeah. It makes me think of uh, Crimson Peak. Yes. Which, foof, foof, that is exactly the house, like, the house is alive. The house yes. is, you know, Like, even when, doesn't he sentient. say something to her, like, it sounds like the walls are breathing to her? Yes, yes. 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 That and the oh. image of like when she's walking and the clay sort of oozes up between the yes. floorboards. They're, like, they're the two <laughs> that images scene. that are stuck with me from that movie. Oh. As soon as I opened your book and started reading, um, which I am just so grateful to have the opportunity, but as I was reading, I was like, uh-oh, it's Crimson Peak. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> it's very funny because I hadn't actually seen Crimson Peak until after I'd written Lake Such, but I... 
It was funny. I think I was looking at stuff on Pinterest and I found pictures from Crimson Peak. And I remember sending it to my partner who watches a lot. Like, I don't watch a great deal of movies, but he does. And I was like, what's this from? Why can't we watch it? And he's like, oh, I thought I told you about that. It came out ages ago. I don't think it was very good, like, because I guess it wasn't his thing. And then I watched it and I'm like, this is amazing. How have I slept on this? I'm obsessed. And it's got thing, Tom Hiddleston in it. And you get to see his butt in the romance scene. <laughs> yeah, that's clearly yes, the most important part of Heart of yes. I was like, why did nobody tell me that this was so beautiful and you get to see Tom Hiddleston's butt? It's, it's clearly, perfect. I'm very mature. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no. and that means that I think you, a gem. you nailed it though. Like you did such a great job with your book. Like if your book can be as evocative and make people think of a movie that is the kind of movie that even people that haven't seen it, I feel like you say the title and people have a very kind of yeah. I mean that was defined idea of what it, it is. I think in Pit Matter it was like the comps for Winter Song meets Crimson Peak, and it does feel very like that's a really good way to sum it, sum it up because it's kind of. Not quite as horror, ghosty type horror as Crimson Peak, mm-hmm. but it's definitely got that sort of aesthetic. So I hadn't Which seen I it until you. after I'd written like such, but as I was revising, I think a lot of that aesthetic kind of bled in, like especially like the scene where she comes into the house with the staircase and how the house is all decaying and things. Like I really loved, that was very visually exactly the kind of feel that I wanted to get. So it was nice to sort of see it on screen to get inspiration. Yeah. I think that's also the idea of the house being the world for the character. And if that starts to decay, you're right, Emily, you said it about if something starts to go wrong inside of this small world, everything's wrong. It is life ending. It is world ending stakes. Yeah. Which, Which again, compels a character to make those choices. You know, you might as well go big or go home when it feels like the whole world is is this place that you are. And I think for Letter especially, like, that's very much her whole situation. Like, I deliberately made the setting this very small kind of rural. I think I kind of wanted it to feel like the village is in uprooted a little bit. You know how they're sort of like, this is the dragon and he's like the lord of the villages in like this little bit. So that's kind of a similar setup. But even right at the start, she's sort of living with a um, surrogate mother and she's so horrible to them. And I just think, why don't you leave? And even her brother's like, why don't we leave? And she's like, no, no, like I'd rather stay here where it's dangerous, but I know the dangers than mm-hmm. face the world. And she sort of increasingly goes on and it's like this feeling of like, the world's kind of chasing her away like you know like Rowan takes them and they try to run from him and then like they get into trouble and he has to bring them back and then they get to the house and she can't leave there because sort of like she's tied to that for other reasons but it's very much like Mm -hmm. this sort of feeling of like being backed into a corner and she kind of says over and over like I have nothing like I've got no power I've got no magic I've got nothing to endear me to like the powers of the world so I have to kind of scrape by on like what I can trade with like my wits and this weird connection Mm -hmm. that I've got with this like terrible dangerous creature so I don't know in the beginning her world is her brother too that's the one thing that she has and so where he is is the world and you've also created this really cool sense of um as a reader I was so fine with the fact that I didn't know what the wider world looked like. It reminded me of Wilder Girls in that, like, there you know there must be a wider world out there, but the characters don't really know what's going on out there, and so it does almost create this sense of, like, 
if you walked past some invisible barrier, there might just be nothing there. And I think that's really, really fascinating from a storytelling perspective and from a world building perspective, because I don't remember it being discussed a lot on the page. It was just one of those things that, like I felt from the very beginning that they were sort of isolated from whatever else is out there. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of, I love Wilder Girls so much. It's like one of my favorite books. I remember reading, I think even before it came out, I think Rory had like a sample chapter on her website and I read it and I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Like she is so talented. I'm just in awe of her. She's one of those authors where I'm just like, I want to be like, you know, like I aspire to have this level of craft. It's just it's really like for me it feels really rare that you open up like a especially like a young adult book and just read something where like the prose just immediately floors you and Mm -hmm. her writing is always like that so oh it's incredible I would actually say for me like words like horror and body horror if you had asked me like a few years ago I would have been like nope that is not my thing I do not like body horror and yet I opened up Wilder Girls and I was like yes I will read this book and there's just something about I I reread it recently actually and like I, I think reading it slower the second time I was like wow this is actually really gross but like yeah. I appreciated it a lot I loved, like, <laughs> but I think it's what I always have this rule of I think I know what I like and what I don't like and inevitably someone comes along and does such a great job at it that I'm like just kidding actually I love this now and it's just it's about you know it's about the authors so yeah. yay authors but in terms of the setting being sort of small I originally I guess because I sort of felt like I needed to make it big because when I was writing it, I mean, this was like 2018, there wasn't really, like, I had a lot of people sort of telling me, oh, your book's kind of quiet, you know, quiet books don't usually do well, everybody wants big, high concept, you know, sort of stories, so it might not appeal to to big publishers. And so I was sort of, I felt like, oh, to do it right or to write like a book, you had to make it big. And then my agent was kept sort of saying to me, oh, but like, this is like, bring it in smaller. So originally like the corruption, which is the thing that they're fighting against, was going to take over the whole world. It was like, if we don't stop it, it'll destroy the whole world. And my agent's like, does that really like, why is that, you know, like, why do we need it to be the world? Let's draw it back in. And so she really encouraged me to make it a lot smaller and tighter. And I think it worked out a lot for the better because... The stakes feel so much more personal. Yes, I love that. It I feels mean, like it's coming for you, do, not for the world, which is yeah, scarier. And there are people who do those big scale books so well. Like I think there's some people who just have a real talent in writing like big cast, big setting. For me, I'm kind of like two people in a room. That's kind of what I want to write. <laughs> so anything that doesn't require there being like a huge world, it's it's been really good. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, with The Last Finestra, you know, my debut, I basically wiped out the rest of the world because <laughs> I didn't want to do, you know, it. you know, that it all takes place on one island. And I wanted that to feel like the whole world. And so kind of the way the story is set up is that there, there supposedly is nothing else out there. You know, it's kind of a barren wasteland if you go off the island, which allowed me to play with this society while also like not having to worry about, you know, 90% of the planet, which was kind of a fun balance of both. <laughs> I think that's why I would struggle to write a contemporary book a lot because, I mean, one, I'm old. And so, like, to me, like, contemporary <laughs> feels like the 90s. And everyone's like, that's historical now. I'm like, oh, please. please the worst. Please. It's the worst when people say that. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like, Stranger Things, that's a contemporary, right? No. Um, so, <laughs> but the nice thing about setting something in, like, a second world fantasy that's kind of you know, I mean, it's not really, I, I guess it's kind of like Regency-ish without like the Regent was kind of how I imagined the world. But, you know, like there's no cars, 
Oh, it's the cat coming back in. <laughs> Every time I have a thing in here with the door shut, she just hangs around. She's like, a closed door. Um, you know, like there's no cars, there's no phones. So immediately like distances are, you know, like it takes like days to cross the distance. There's no way to contact anyone. Maybe it's sort of a setting where like people aren't, can't write or papers rare. Like, I mean, like just thinking about those sort of things, even though like it didn't really come into the book, like being able to strip away all of the modern technology makes it a lot easier to make everyone feel really cut off. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm sure there's ways to do it. I like, like in Wild Girl, she, she managed to do it because they were like physically cut off on the island and then like there was no phone service and uh-huh. they like had like the calls to the mainland were like denied. And so there's definitely ways to do it. But when like I sort of a while ago, I wanted to try writing something that was in like a like a village that was modern, kind of like Scorpio races kind of feeling. And I'm just like, I can't do this because it's really hard for me to sort of imagine how technology would fit with the claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything gets out of date like two seconds after you write it. Like, I know. Hat is, hats off really like, to so contemporary like, YA authors. <laughs> you're my heroes. <laughs> can't do it. I know. Can't they just it. like. It's amazing. I'm so in awe of anyone who can pull it off. Like, The Devouring Grey, that series by Christian Hammond, like, she did a really good job of making it feel very enclosed, but they also felt very much like modern, real teenagers with using, like, phones and things like that. That's something I haven't actually thought of, but there are these modern Gothic stories and the hardships that communicate – because everything we just talked about was making things feel closed off, so – yeah. The idea of actually introducing technology yeah. and then having to explain it away yeah, or yeah. or you can I call for help. Recently. That's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> the best example I can think of is Tripping Arcadia by Kit Mayquist, which comes out next, I want to say February, early next year. So that's an adult gothic and it's modern. So it's set in Boston. Um, but he did a really good job because the main character basically is sort of living this very kind of double life so working for this family but also kind of trying to do something nefarious as like a I don't know I don't want to spoil it but so even though there's modern technology the like the character keeping the secrets of not letting wanting to let like their friends or their family in on what they're doing makes it feel very enclosed so there's like it's very clever there's definitely ways to do it but it's kind of not how my brain would immediately works I love seeing how other authors manage to pull it off and I'm just thinking that you're going to get to put all of these books like in the show notes and it's going to be like the best required reading list I (laughs) cannot wait I was actually thinking about that I was was like like, listeners come for this episode and leave with all the book recs that you could ever want so (laughs) cool I used to be a librarian, so that's kind of like, nice. you know, whenever people are like, I don't know how to do comp titles, I'm like, wait, let me help you. Like, oh, I'm going to keep that in mind me. next time I need to pitch a book. <laughs> <laughs> I hate comp titles. Oh, I love it so, so much. But that was like my whole job was like recommending like books to people and like, you know, oh, if I like this book, what book would I like? Oh, like? wow. that That's right. Librarians yeah. are basically comp title people. That's the coolest thing ever. Okay. My mind is blown. Now <laughs> I know. Now I know. Who I mean, to ask it was time. a little bit of that, and mostly just a bunch of like people wanting to use the public computers to check their email. <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> That's Emily's not quite as fun, though. If Emily not can't get a hold fun. of you, she's going to go to her local library and be like, "Okay, listen. Let's say I really love Wolverine and I really <laughs> love Rogue. What, what book do you recommend?" I'd be like, "Go watch movies." <laughs> So speaking of enclosed spaces and how that fosters romance, um, we'd love to talk more about uh, how you create, you know, romantic arcs in your stories and write these scenes because, um, you know, TLF, my debut, was my 
my moment of leaning into writing romance. Um, I always had romantic subplots in my books, but for a while I bought into that horrible kind of concept that books with romance aren't real, you know? You know, there's this pressure to, like, yeah. if there's too much it's kissing not, in it, then it's not a real, it's... important, classy book. And TLF was my moment of being like, I'm writing the stuff I want to write, and I don't care what anyone says. So and it, it was, was amazing. A, it was, thank you. It was a journey of discovery <laughs> for me, and really, I know, with Anna's most recent work in progress – there's been a lot of sort of leaning into the romance elements as well. So it's been a process for us. And now we have an expert on the right. show. So. I cannot <laughs> wait because reading, especially the first, I'm such a naysayer when it comes to characters getting along. If they've just met, I am very much the person who's like, listen, you have known this person for five minutes. What are you doing? <laughs> touching their pectoral, get your hand off. But in this one, I was like, yep, yep, yes. This makes sense. Keep going. Oh, we're kiss. Okay, keep go. Like it was just all so quick and so fast and believable. So I'm very excited to hear about this. That's fine. Yeah, I think my favorite part was like the bit. I don't know where you're up to. Where she like he pulls her aside and he's talking to her and she's like, I look at him with like this strange dark feeling that's not quite fear. And like I was like, yes. Yeah. Like I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Sorry, but I like it. Probably afraid of him. It's like I think you just think he's hot. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that from my first reading, which again was quite a while ago. I remember being like, oh yeah, that's a that's a moment right there, and I am here for mm -hmm. it. I was uh, reading it at night and shouted, shout like I was like, yes. <laughs> and then promptly went very quiet to continue reading. I love it. I also yeah, feel like I there are so the many books like, that. I, I'm sorry. Sorry, you go. I was saying there are so many books. We we talk a lot about, you know, there's. Some people say there's too much romance in fantasy, and other people say there's not enough romance in fantasy. And I would argue that there are a lot of books that have a little romance in them. But for my personal preference, I want more books that kind of go all in and really, you know, yeah, use I the skills of romance that's authors. The problem I have yeah. too is like it feels like everything has a romance because people are sort of told, "Oh, you need like a romance plot." But sometimes you can really tell that people just aren't really like going yeah. for it. And or just added, it's like decoration. It's not necessarily yeah. And sometimes driving I feel the like I've read books where I feel like this would have been better if you just didn't have the romance like if you're not really like wanting to go all in with it like it doesn't it's kind of that sort of thing where you kind of like need to go hard or go home Ooh, that's yes. a pun. <laughs> I know, a spicy take I agree I would agree if you don't want to have romance be a central part of your book you don't have to like it's totally okay to leave it out yeah. but I'm also a big fan and of like if you put like, it in a lot of readers out there who don't want to read a book with a romance mm-hmm. and so it kind of goes both ways because you know like they're getting this romance that they probably don't want and like then people who want romance are getting like this romance that isn't mm-hmm. quite what they're looking for. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not really, I can't really speak for other people enjoy writing, but I feel like people do struggle to write romance sometimes because of it. Either they're not, they don't want to do it or they like feel a bit unsure about how mm-hmm. to do it well, or I don't know, but yeah, I, tend to I think tell it's sort of one of those things where people to read. I have a lot of people who ask me like, well, how, like, how can I write a better romantic subplot? How can I do this? And my first advice is always go read romance novels. Cause I yeah, find definitely. a lot of, a lot of YA authors, a lot of fantasy authors, a lot of science fiction, like they're, they're so immersed in their genre, which is amazing. But I love the thought of being able to kind of hop around by genre and find the people that are knocking it out of the park at what they do best. And then taking those skills and incorporating them in different genres, I think is just super Definitely. fun. Definitely. 
I think reading out of your genre is like one of the best things you can do as a writer, like just reading like the widest variety of media possible. And I tend to read like quite a lot out of my genre, especially when I'm, I guess, like editing or trying to come up with a new idea because I don't want to read anything Same. too similar because then I'm kind of worried that I'll end up inadvertently being sort of too influenced or mm-hmm. I don't know, like some of my best ideas for things have often come from reading very far out of my genre. Definitely. But yeah, romance, romance novels, especially for like the pacing of like romance beats. Are, Absolutely. It's just perfect, especially if you get one that's like, the problem I have with romance is like some of them are a little bit, not particularly female centered. I don't know. You know what I mean though? But Tessa yeah. Dare, I just adore her. And she writes the most sex positive female centered sort of Regency romances. And the way like the pacing works in them, it's just such a good way to see, even if you're not writing like a romance, just to see how to kind of keep the, the stakes building, I guess, alongside the plot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of romance, too, and I, I might have even said this on the podcast before, is that, um, you know, every different genre offers different ways to move a story forward. And I think one of the hardest things to do, but one of the most satisfying things to do, is when you can drive a story forward really by using those character interactions. And I think that's something that romance authors have to do so well because the story yeah. is the romance. And so if you can study how they use dialogue, how they use interpersonal tension, how they use, mm-hmm. you know, wordless mm-hmm. tension between two characters – it's something that even if you're not writing romance, even if you're just writing any story that has more than one character in it, you can learn so much about how they use all these subtle cues to help characters kind of bounce off each other and push each other in different directions. And it's really fun. Yeah. So I think for me, I guess with romance, I try to kind of time the romantic beats with the story beats, if that makes sense. So you kind of have like, the first confession coming at the moment of like a moment of story kind of tension or some kind of information being revealed in the story and then like the first kiss kind of coincides with like a big kind of plot development and the Mm -hmm. like the whatever like you're leading up to so I don't know I think when you if you want to write a romance like I generally kind of plot out like how far you want the couple to go. So what yeah. the final, I know that sounds kind of, but I <laughs> mean, you have to know. because as well, like people have different levels of what they want to write. So like whether you want them to like go to bed together or just like make out or whatever, the, the, the end point. So that's kind of what you're building up to. And then you have like this kind of like building kind of, you know, like the first time that they realize that they are attracted to each other the first time they might almost kiss the first time like they touch each other's hands or something like um and then leading up to so whatever that final moment in like the romance physical like part of it is Mm -hmm. usually like I would time that to be with like the penultimate sort of scene in yeah I find yeah, a lot like of times it's right of, before the darkest moment is really common. Yeah. A lot of romance because it's so like, like that this big like thing has happened like and now two. it falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like end of act two, start like going into act three, like that kind of area in the book is sort of like a good place to leave it. I really um, like the, so, I, sorry. I like the idea. No, right, no yeah. I'm just like, I, a lot of times whenever we have a guest, I end up just sitting here and mentally taking notes. Cause I'm like, yes, please <laughs> let me learn all the things. Um, and the idea I've never thought about, like marking where they like where they begin and then where they where, how far you want them to go like in the relationship like physicality, that is mind blowing. Like I'm, I don't know. 
like to, for my I organization brain. Fully take credit for it. So I did a writing workshop with C.S. Picat, who wrote the Captive Prince trilogy. Um, oh. She's absolutely amazing, and she writes romantic tension so well. And she was sort of, I think she had a thing about like where she said like if you stretch it out as far as you can before like you know before it gets to the point where like they can't the plot can't advance without them confessing kissing whatever and I think she based a lot of that on how romance novel tension works as well well because it's tension it's a form of tension and it's a very effective form of tension because people are going to turn that page thinking maybe the next page something's going to happen maybe the next page something's going to happen I love too that you know romance is there's like a real diminishing returns so once it's reached whatever that penultimate point is Mm. even though like as a reader you know you're reading and you're like can you guys just make out already (laughs) but it's more fun when they don't make out already (laughs) yeah it really just like my favorite type of books are the ones where you're just reading because you just need to see them kiss and Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be as effective if they kissed like when you wanted them to so it's like the longer you can stretch it out the better it is in terms of like maintaining that romantic tension because like it's sort of once they reach whatever like the final point in the the romantic arc is the tension's lost and you've got to continue to like sort of keep the stakes going which is always the challenge I guess when you write a duology or a series where yes, the couple it is. gets together <laughs> and like oh, there's been so many where you read the second book and they're like an established couple and then mm-hmm. they have that real you know oh we've got to introduce some kind of like thing to break them up and it's usually like something really dumb like a misunderstanding mm-hmm. where they could have just had a conversation and it's just like oh I'm gonna so say that you I, and I without giving any spoilers I think your book and my book we came up with some pretty clever ways to make sure that uh, things are not um, wrapped up too neatly in the romance at the end of book one. So um, good for us. <laughs> Very creative <Yeah>. ways. <laughs> Intense ways. Um, also, I just realized that um, the timing was really impeccable here because my mother decided to tell me yesterday that she's listening to this podcast. So hi, mom. Um, so that is living in the back <laughs> of my head rent free as like everything I'm about to say. We're just I'm just, we're just leaning Lee's in. Mom. Hi, ma. hi, mom. Um, <laughs> but I was just thinking about how I actually had a moment when I was writing The Last Finestra, which is a book about a girl who kills everyone she touches when I actually realized kind of we'll say how far the characters would have to go based on that premise. You know, I I had this moment and I remember messaging some of my writer friends and saying, "Um, I think I'm going to have to write a a, a real steamy scene here because it's a book about a girl who can't touch people, but maybe she can. And it was one of those things I realized this is the opposite of gratuitous. This is so essential to this character's personal growth. Like there is going to have to be a really significant moment in this book where – physical contact with other people goes from being one thing and becomes something else entirely. And um, at, it was a very terrifying moment, I think, for me as an author to be like, okay, all right, well, here we go. We're doing this thing. Though. Like, <laughs> Even, I can't remember how old I was when I first saw like the first X-Men movie with Rogan <laughs> and I was just like, there was something in me that was like, oh, I love this trope yeah. so much. Like, <laughs> There's built-in tension there. You know, it's someone who wants something and cannot have mm-hmm. it. And I've always loved that it's- as well. Um, so when it comes to writing uh, steamy scenes, do you have an approach? Do you do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you hide from them? Share them with friends? <laughs> I actually do share them with friends. Like I have a friend and I usually send like bits to her. I was like, we love send it. bits back and forth because she also writes quite steamy books and it's it's really fun. But you know what? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but like 
Australia's fairly good with like sex ed and school, but not so much in terms of like the emotional side of it. Like we mm-hmm. get taught like very good factual sort of um, sex ed, but like growing up as a like a young woman like I never really had this idea that it was okay for girls to be like desirous or to want to have sex or like it was always kind of like oh you're gross if you know like it's gross or it's like unseemly to be interested in that sort of thing and maybe that was just my own hang-up I don't know so I really wanted to lean into writing like female desire in a way where it was like shown as like I don't know what like the word for it is like natural and empowered and not something to be ashamed of and just kind of like seeing like somebody lean into those feelings with like kind of like a wholehearted you know acceptance of it because that's the sort of books that I would have liked to have read Mm -hmm. when I was younger and I and I think like when you think about how there's like a lot of places where you know, people are still getting taught like abstinence only sex education and things like that. No, maybe it's really <laughs> maybe Hi, it's really to nice. <laughs> yeah. So like look forward to my book like not being in any like southern libraries. I don't know. If I've thought the true. same thing. I've thought the same thing. I'm like, so, oh, do oh, I do well. school visits or not? Um <laughs> But you know, like I think it's nice to show like somebody what like you know, like healthy desire, healthy consent. Like I wrote, I kind of like, I deliberately made a choice to write like very obvious consent in there, mm-hmm. in like the romance scenes, like uh, things like that. Just, I wanted to really model like a sort of age appropriate, but not sort of putting any kind of moral or whatever, like Absolutely. framework on it, if that makes sense. When I love too, I feel like Letta is so much is out of her control in this book. Um, you know, the, there are things happening in the world that are out of her control. There are, you know, so much of her her existence and her survival is always feels kind of precarious. But that's one avenue of the book that she does feel like she has incredible agency. It feels like she is making choices based on what she wants and what she thinks is best for herself. And I think that that's a really fun balance. And it's a fun contrast, too, because it shows us a different side of her character that if that element wasn't there she would not be quite the same person that she is in this story, which is really, really well done. Yeah, I think so too. It's kind of like, and I think her choice to have a romance is like, it's very much about her sort of seizing this like thing that she never really expected to have or want. Um, But it's like this very much, like when so much is out of her control, she's like, I'm claiming like this, like, you know, my body, my feelings, my choice to do this with, like, to be with this other person. Definitely. And I think it was nice to give her that moment of, like, empowerment in a story where she is quite, like, I mean, she she isn't completely powerless, but she's definitely struggling to kind of keep on, like, to keep hold of what little power she has in most yeah. of the other parts of the story. Yeah, she definitely, like, demonstrates agency throughout the whole story. But I just think, I think with the gothic that that whole vibe of, you know, that the something's coming, something bad is lurking, like all of that are things that are out of her control. And so it's really neat to see the ways in her life that she is able to take control and that she, you know, there's there's no holding her back, <laughs> which I love about her. <laughs> and I kind of wanted it to be like the first, like for both her and Ari, and it's kind of like the first time they've got to just be like teenagers, mm-hmm. I guess, like with Ari and making friends with Clover, who's like another minor character. 
and then sort of being silly together like it's kind of his first time to like have a friend and yeah. to be able to just like be himself around somebody else um and like for her like it's like her first time to be able to you know like have a have a romance and it's sort mm-hmm. of and as she has like friendships it's like it's so it's like this is the first time that like she doesn't have to be this self-sacrificing like protector and constantly on guard and doing all of these things like for the sake of her brother now she can kind of have her own sort of thing and I think she struggles with that a little bit like even when like it gets to the point where like they confess their feelings and she's like how can we how can we want this right now like all the way through she's kind of like how can I ask this of you how can I want you to be with me when you've like already lost so much and there's already so much danger and so it's like definitely like a really good kind of like tense angsty stakes that's I don't know it feels very appropriate for a gothic romance I won't quote Speed again, but I'm tempted to. But, you know, these books, <laughs> I, I do think there's something about stories where characters are going through incredibly intense situations and you form relationships fast. And it's, mm-hmm. it yeah. feels authentic and believable. And I, I like when characters do kind of stop and pause and say, like, is this the moment? Yep, it's the moment. You know, who knows if we're going to be around tomorrow? Like, you only live once. Um, I think you That's do it really true. well. Yeah. I, I was thinking about the... Uh, the comment you said, Lyndall, about uh, how much Letta has under her control and, you know, having, like, she, this romance is her taking control of her own body, of her own feelings, and especially, like, from the very beginning of the book, those scenes with her, what they, you know, they call her their mother, right? Um, it feels like she has a choice, but she doesn't have a choice in, like, what she does. And then even when she pl- packs up all of her belongings, her belongings are so minimal. Like, she doesn't have much to her like, to her own name, to her own self. And I can see this very much as, like, an empowering thing. Like, it's just what really just brilliantly crafted. Because as you were talking, I was like, oh, the <laughs> chapters are so good. It makes me feel so emotional about her, even though, like, you know, she's just this character that I dreamed of. And I'm like, my baby. And the same <laughs> with Rowan, because he gets a point of view in the sequel. And, like, for him as well, like, it's his first time of, like, everyone that he's loved has died. And it's, like, you know... Um, everybody like everyone he's everyone he's cared about has been hurt because of him and so like thinking about how it must feel for him to sort of take the risk of like falling for somebody mm-hmm. like they both kind of get this like situation where like it's something that they never really hoped for and it's like quite a danger to give in to those feelings but at the same time quite healing right I feel like we're That's gonna have to have you back later to talk, have like a whole like sequel episode. Like once both of our books are out, we'll have to bring you back and talk about yes. all these I'm challenges so excited and to read the sequel them. for yours as well. Like I, I remember when you sent it to me. I think I sat off and read almost the whole book in one night. <laughs> I just, just looked like, back at the emails. How this ends? You were like, I read eighty five percent last night, and I was like, Yes, I succeeded. It was I love it. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but it, there is there are a lot of special challenges that come with writing a sequel and. At first, I was really daunted by it. But that was one thing I decided before I went on sub is that I needed to know that I had kind of enough in my arsenal to make the second book meet the first one, um, which took, you know, I had to really think through how I was ending things, how I was wrapping things up, what questions I was leaving for book two. Um, And it was a huge challenge, but it's really satisfying when you figure it out. And it's so hard because, like, both of us can't give any spoilers about book one. But once they've been out for a little while... We can have a really cool it's talk really about book strange two. because yeah, I'm expecting to get my edits for book two very soon, and it's weird working on like the sequel to a book that isn't even out in the world yet. Yeah, so it's 
interesting but I kind of it was originally a standalone but when I was on sub I did have in the back of my mind oh if they asked me what like could you turn into a series here's what I do so I had like a very vague idea mm-hmm. and then when after it like it sold as a two book deal but I still like I assumed they wanted two standalones and then my editor said they'd like it to be a series so I'm like okay cool I can think of this that's that we so cool out. and there was actually a lot of stuff that I'd wanted to do that I couldn't quite manage to fit in like the emotional development wasn't there wasn't enough space for it in book one but stretching out over two books meant that I was able to kind of explore these other things so it worked out really well but I do have like I did have like a bit of a crisis where I was writing it and I was like but think about all the sequels that are terrible like what? there's <laughs> no sequels that are ever good and I'm like and my partner was listening he's like what about aliens that's better than like the first one you just want to write the book that feels like aliens I'm like okay cool that will be like my thing that I cling to is that like I want to write the aliens <laughs> like, aliens you know, of gothic way series <laughs> I love love that so much. That's so cool that you went on sub with it as a standalone. I actually, so I queried with it as a standalone, but I left like a little hint of a question. Um, And then before we were going on submission, I remember my agent had said, okay, if we want to, if we want to set this up as a duology, like you have to make sure you earn it, like that you have to make sure that this book ends in a way that people feel satisfied, that they, you know, that the story is wrapped up, but there's a really good reason why they're going to want a second one. And basically when we went on submission, we didn't like pitch it as the first in a duology. We just didn't say anything about whether a second book. And I actually remember when my editor reached out, my now editor reached out to my agent and was like, is this going to be a duology? What are you thinking? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Okay, good. Because at that point I had started to get really attached to the idea of how the second book was going to work. Um, and so I'm really oh, glad I got nice to do that. that. You got to chance to do it. Yeah, it was weird because nobody asked me. Like, I think maybe because it went to auction, we kind of got lucky where I could, I just sort of said to my agent, well, here's what I'd like. You know, I want to sell North American rights, a two book deal, blah, blah, blah. And nobody really asked what the second book was about. I remember I was on the call with my editor and I was like, oh, I've like written other books as well. Like, you know, if you needed <laughs> to know about them, I could tell you. And she but it was funny because I was so nervous but then she told me later that she was really nervous talking to me as well and she's like oh well she's like well it'd be pretty funny if you were like no this is it I'm just gonna write one book and then like that's the end of my career (laughs) (laughs) see I had I'd given just enough thought to book two to know that I had something but I am not a plotter so I didn't actually have much of something and so my book sold as a preempt so um and my editor (laughs) Hi, Vicky. Um, It was probably, she was probably just really busy, but I didn't know we were going to acquisitions until we got the offer, basically. So kind of what happened. That's nice, though, because at least you're not sitting there stressing about it. Mine was like, it was meant to go to acquisitions, and then the meeting, they didn't have time to talk about it at the meeting, and then it happened to be when Macmillan was moving out of the Flatiron building. Oh. So they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about it at acquisitions this week. And next week we can't have a meeting because like we're moving. And so it'll be like the week after that. Maybe. You're and like, then, this like, is important like to talk to you on the phone. And I'm just like, what if they all hate it? And I just have to wait three weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, no, oh, I'm glad no. I got the sneak attack. Um, but what ended up happening is basically my, you know, my agent messaged me and said, you know, we have an editor who's reading and she's really liking it. And she wants to know if it's a duology. So, you know, have you written up that? you know, synopsis for book two that she had asked me to write up when we first went on submission. I was not on submission very long. In my defense, I was like, submission takes forever. 
I'll have time. Like, I just finished revising this book. It's out on sub. I'm just going to breathe for a little bit. And then here I was a week later. My agent's like, hey, um, so you got that synopsis right. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll get all that. And she's like, could you could you send it now, like tonight, so that I can send it on to this editor? And I was like, <laughs> that's so, oh, that's, no. <laughs> that's what happened when I went on um, sub for my, like, Australian rights. So because I'm in Australia, I really wanted to sell, like, separate to a separate Australian publisher. And um, generally that doesn't happen. Usually like you sell Commonwealth rights, um, which includes like everywhere. But my agent was like, I'll do my best to get them to split it up and we'll see how we go. And so when Pan Macmillan were interested, my agent emailed me and she's like, have you got like a synopsis for what happens in the sequel? Because they want both of them. And I was sort of like still planning yeah. <laughs> the sequel. And I'm oh just like, oh. well, I'm just, I'm not really a plotter and probably so much of this doesn't make sense and I'll have to work it out as I go along. And so I was like, oh, here we go. I put something together. And then she's like, okay, well, like I, my assistant and I and like the other foreign rights agent have read it and here's all our feedback. And I'm like, oh no, like you actually have opinions. <laughs> oh yeah. Mine was, oh my so, gosh. You guys, I Because I think literally, it was something like I wrote like, you know, part of it's like Rowan turns into a monster and she was like, what type of monster? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I literally poured myself a glass of champagne because I, you know, basically I get this message that says there's an editor interested and I'm like, hooray, best day of my life. I pour a glass of champagne and then 30 minutes later it's, um, could you send that synopsis right now? And I'm like, oh, the synopsis that I've been, <laughs> okay. air quotes, working on. Sure. Okay. Um, sure. So I write up something just like knowing. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what happens in oh this book yet. Gosh. You know, I'm just going to throw some stuff right. out there. I'm like, I wish someone would tell me because yeah. Yeah, I'd love to know. <laughs> I sent it off and my agent was like, okay, um it's a start a how about <laughs> and I was like oh no <laughs> so she gave feedback we sent it off the next day and I can tell you in all honesty I have not looked at it since I do not remember what it says I even told my editor I was like just FYI like I don't know what I don't like I, it's not that it was just that I was so on high alert you know like if this was like a big exciting night and I was scrambling and so I'm like I, I it's yeah. been so long and so I told my editor I was like I don't really remember exactly what I decided to do for the second book and I kind of don't want to look at that because I thought it was terrible and she's like don't worry about it it's fine like it always changes and now I do have a much clearer idea of what book that is going to be. That was going to be my question is like are your sequels and you do not have to answer this if this is uh gonna throw you <laughs> under a bus or something but are your sequels anything like those that I'm really looking forward to now that I have actually written up an actual outline for book two and I've sent it to my agent because we're kind of in that like you know drafting process and she's helping me with it. now I want to go back and look at the one that we sent on submission just to see how very different they are because I bet they're going to be very different um, but that happens that's the creative process and I think most editors actually know that they want to make sure that you have some ideas you know that you're not just like I don't know we'll see what happens but I, I think they're we'll okay figure with it. it out yeah but they know things change um Mine is probably not too dissimilar because I was actually in the middle of drafting it when I was asked to write okay. the synopsis. Yeah. But the very original like plan that I had for the second book was that there was going to be like a plague in the village. And then like this was pre like last year and then oh. it got to like March and I'm like, I can't do this. I don't want to write a book about a plague. I'm living a plague and I know how people <laughs> act in a plague and there's nothing romantic about this. So Good I point. have to sort of... 
I had this terrible writer's block until I figured out like what I could replace that sort of plot element with. But even now, like I kind of felt like I had a pretty good grasp on what I wanted to happen in the book. And then one of the booksellers who blurbed for me was like, oh, I wonder if X is going to happen in the sequel. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a really good idea. So I'm looking forward to sort of going back and editing and seeing if there's like mm-hmm. more things that I want to change. That's so fun. Yeah, I like, that's so is your, you'll be, do you think you'll be finished with um, book two before book one comes out? Is that what your timeline is looking like right now? Yeah, actually, okay. it's almost exactly like I think the first week of October is when I turn it into copy edits. Okay. So oh, it's wow. like literally like the week before my debut comes out is when I turn in book two. So we'll see how we go. But. Mine's similar. I think that's the best though, because I love the thought of being like, it's done, it's wrapped up. Like, because I think it would be really easy to get it kind of all up in your head with you. people hearing mm. what people think of book one, getting all this input, having people having opinions, I think would make it really hard to like start drafting a sequel at that point. Um, and I like It is really of- hard. Like even after I've like, I was, my goal was to draft it before ARCs went out and like they've just gone up on Edelweiss yesterday. So like that's kind of a good, good timing. But even then there's like this sort of, it's really hard when you're writing like anything that isn't the book that you sell as your first book, I guess, because yeah. it's really hard to sort of have this, you have to have this real faith in your vision, I guess, because yeah. you start to get everybody else's voices of like, oh, I want this to happen, or I don't like books where X, like so many people say um, like, oh, I yeah. hate love triangles and my sequel has a love triangle. And I'm just like, well, I wanted <laughs> oh, well. to write one. So, you know, like I'm just going to have to write the sort of book that I'm interested in because like it has to interest me while I'm doing it. But yeah. being able to have faith that like, you can listen to your own creative voice versus mm, like mm. having everybody else tell you what to what to put in the story. It's yeah, it's tricky. Because that's what got you to having a first book anyway is following your own like interests and your own yeah. passions and your own vision. And like you weren't listening to other voices and you were just creating. So, but I can they, understand. They like, tell you never to write a sequel. They say, don't yeah. write a sequel. Don't write a sequel. Never write a sequel. Never you got to sell Never the first book. And then that's what cracks me up is they say, don't write the sequel. Don't write the sequel until you know if you're going to sell book one. And then you, you know, are on the verge of selling book one. And suddenly everyone's like, all right, let's talk about that sequel. And all of us authors are like, no, no, no. You told me not even to think about a sequel. And now I'm supposed to have a sequel. Okay, sure. Yeah. Timeline changes really fast. <laughs> yeah, think on your feet. Yeah, I don't think I want to do another series for a while, though. Like, I'm working on what I hope will be my third book, and that's a standalone. And I think, like, it's sort of you start to think about, like, what you want, like, a career to look like versus, like, the first book where you just want that to be the one. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of like, do I want to be, like, a series author? Do I want to, you know, like, and I'm like, I think I want to do, like, a standalone and then, you know, maybe sort of we'll see where it goes from there. But it's nice to sort of write something in a different world. Yeah, I can feel that already. I think, too, people don't realize just how long authors are in a certain world. Because even with the duology, you know, for readers, it, that's a two-year process for them. For the author, it's like a five-year process. It just takes a lot longer. Yeah, so. it's a really long time. I mean, it's lovely, too. I really liked going into drafting a book where I knew the characters and I knew the world and I didn't have to build a magic system or mm-hmm. – it, and it was really lovely getting to spend, like, another couple of years with them, too. Like, yeah. I think I'll be really sad when I turn in, like, the final oh, book, yeah. <laughs> book, too. Like, it's going to be really sad to see. Like, even writing the very last sort of 
the, the last scene with Rowan and Forest Fall, I got very emotional writing it because I kind of felt like Aww. I was sending my son off to college. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my baby is all grown up. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy I didn't have to say goodbye to my characters yet. It's just also that moment of like, okay, now we're doing this again. Like we're, we're going back in here and we're back in this world for another, you know, year or so. Um, it's intense. Yeah. Right. It is. They start to feel so real that I, I feel like I discuss my characters. Even around my house, like my <laughs> my youngest child was making memojis, you know, the little personalized emojis. Yeah. And turned to me and holds up a screen and it's like all my book characters <laughs> in memoji form. That's adorable. It's almost like they're like distant relatives that like just come up in conversation so much that my children know what they I look like. I like to be often I'll be talking through like a plot problem or something at the dinner table and so like everybody kind of knows oh, yes. about the story my I kids are brutal because I'll ask them like I'll be, have a moment where I'm like oh no like I think this bad thing has to happen and my kids will be like why and I'll explain like kind of like well this character this and this character this and I've realized because <laughs> at first they always go no don't be mean and I explain some of them my kids go yep you know you got to do it like, <laughs> <laughs> brutal <laughs> brutal kids I love it I really like getting to like because I work at home like before I was writing I was the librarian and then um, my contract ended and it just didn't work out for me to have a job not like while my kids are both at school because librarian hours just don't fit in with school hours Mm -hmm. um and so my partner went back to work full-time and I stayed home and I never envisaged being a stay-at-home mom ever um so it was a big adjustment for both of us but I really like my kids getting to see me working on like a creative yeah mm, career at home like I think it's a nice thing for them to grow up seeing Totally. I think it feels like a family affair almost. Like I feel like my kids are part of this book's process. They're the ones that listen to me. I mean, my kids, when I got my book offer, my book deal, I ran upstairs, I threw open the door and I said, oh my gosh, guess what? And both my children who are really young, they said, did you go to acquisitions? (laughs) And I said, no. I I I got an offer. Telling telling my son, like somebody wants to buy my book. And he was so excited for me. Yeah. This is so wholesome. (laughs) I love that we went from like the sex talk to the wholesomeness. Look at us. So well-rounded. This is so nice. This this episode has been a journey. This has been fantastic. Um, I know that it's really early where you are, so we should probably start wrapping things up so you can start your day (laughs) as Anna and I are watching the sun go down here. But this has been so much fun. Was there anything else you wanted me to answer while I'm still around? So uh, we do have our, our usual go-to closer question. You want to go ahead with that one, Anna? Yeah, you do not have to answer this if you're someone who gets nervous responding to things on the fly. But we like to do a thing called pitch your book badly. So you pitch it as boring as possible. So it's oh, like... okay. <laughs> so Emily, I don't know. Do you want to hear an example? Because Emily has hers. Yeah, so yeah, mine is, badly. I want to hear it. Mine is something like, you know, girl who sucks at her job and a bodyguard who didn't sign up for all these feelings. Which really kind of um, sounds up the book. I'm trying to think. I remember having to do this. Like I did the, like for a Twitter post. I think mine was something like, "Girl takes the worst summer job ever." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's perfect. Just so much lurking under the surface there. Good time. I love that. <laughs> so well, much. I was telling Anna earlier that, you know, when we started this podcast, it was just for fun. And now it has basically turned into our sneaky way of getting our hands on books early. Um, so thank you for helping that dream come true. 
That's um, okay. Thank you for reading. No, thank I. Uh, and when Emily, I didn't get a chance to check the email, but Emily was like, "Yeah," and Lyndall sent us uh, some uh, e arcs, and I was like. I dropped my phone and was like, <laughs> shut the F up. No. And I was. I, just, I will also I say, home. Lyndall, as someone who got to read it when it was, you know, just a Word document, now having it on my Kindle with like all the real like bookie stuff, I realize I'm supposed to be a professional yeah. and know the words, but I was like, oh, look at it. It's like real bookie stuff. It's got the. The book stuff at the beginning. Of the, I don't know. <laughs> it's got the stuff. Yeah, the I know. I know what you mean. Like, because this is still like I think the version I sent you was like the PDF of made from a Word document. So I still yeah. haven't seen. Like, I think I'm getting my past pages in a few weeks, and I am so dying fun. to see what it looks like. <sighs> but when I got like the copy copy edits and I had like the copyright page put on there yeah I'm just like look at it it's a real book. Last week I got my bound manuscript and it was the same thing. I yeah, was like, I didn't so realize Macmillan, it was gonna have that. Like, Made like Matt Kids made the decision not to do any physical um, advanced copies or anything due, I guess, due to COVID. And it makes sense because, you know, like there's not much in person and it probably like printing stuff is hard. But so I still right. haven't seen like a physical version of the book. So seeing that little typeset page with like yeah. the ISBN and like copyright with my name on it, like mm-hmm. that was like one of the first times that it really felt like a mm-hmm. real book. Yeah. I was messaging people, it's I have an different. ISBN number. And I was like, I realize this means nothing to any of you because they were not book people. I'm and I was excited like, to cool. have an ISBN <laughs> yeah. number. I was yeah. going to say, as a librarian, like as a you know past librarian, I bet that's like a moment. I was like, look, it's yeah. my ISBN. Yeah, I like going to the library and seeing like where my book will be on the shelves. I do that too. <laughs> I take pictures. I'm like, it will go right here. These will be your friends. I'll be right next to Cassandra Clow, which is kind oh. of fun. Oh. I'll be near Lainey Taylor and Saba Tahir, which is so cool. That what? Is cool. <laughs> Look at you two. I, oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> we already know who Sorry, our books just, are going to be friends with. <laughs> do you ever have a moment in your life where you go, like, like the song from the 90s where you just have to ask yourself, like, how did I get here? All how, the time. How constantly. am I sitting on this Skype call talking to these? <laughs> yeah. I kind of still – I'm waiting for people to figure out that I'm, like, a huge fraud and, like, that I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. But I think for me, like, it's more kind of – the moments that I've had have been like telling people that I know like other Australian authors like when I'm like yeah I know Jay Kristoff like I, yeah, yeah I've met Garth Nix a few times like it's like <laughs> I mean no like I you know like I know them as in like I've met them a couple of times and they've signed books for me but yeah. people are like wow really I'm just like yeah like I don't know like that's kind of that I that was probably one of the moments but yeah like I don't know I think I still kind of I guess I have like a lot of imposter syndrome and I'm still kind of I feel like yeah a bit of a sort of like I don't know if I I don't know what I'm doing and like it feels weird to be here but I think I'm getting more like I think that's a writer thing though time passes yeah like you'll see I mean I'll see some of the biggest authors will meet each other and you can just tell that they are just fangirling and like all over the place and I'm like I love Mm -hmm. that I love that we're all just a bunch of book nerds that are so excited that we get to hang out with other people that write books like it's just it's really fun I hope we never lose that honestly yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's really it's really cool how, like, I think you go for so long where you're querying and you're just hoping that somebody will read your book and then you're looking up to all of these published authors and then all of a sudden they're your colleagues. But at yeah. the same time, it's kind of just like, but I'm just this nobody. Like, how, you know, it's <laughs> Not weird. for long. <laughs> Not for long. And it's been, like, really lovely seeing, like, book bloggers and things messaging me and saying that they're, like, looking forward to reading my book. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I wrote a book. And, like, that's so sweet that people are excited to read it. And totally. I don't know. It's really... It's really lovely. Like, I don't think I, – I hope I never lose – like, I don't want to be, like, not confident, but I hope I never lose that sort of feeling of, like, mm-hmm. awe and gratitude for totally. being here because it's 
as difficult as a lot of aspects of publishing can be, it's definitely like a real dream come true. Like I never really thought that, you know, like I'd always loved to write. I did like a creative writing honors degree and I never thought that becoming a published author would be like a viable career choice and then like here I am it's amazing it's so awesome so I'm glad so is it going to be published in Australia at the same time it's going to come out out around the same time it's actually coming out a little bit earlier here so the start of September I know because most of my friends who are there like weren't able to see their book in stores for a while because you know I mean I have friends in Australia that would say please send me pictures of my book because I can't buy it here so that's so cool yeah it's kind of a shame because usually when something sells like only North American rights we don't actually get it here on shelves unless it's sold like to the UK or I think Macmillan sometimes do like they do like an international version so like I've seen books here that have been printed like as paperback because everything comes out in paperback first here so right usually like if a book comes out as like a U.S. release you can order it in and it's like $40 for the book I've heard that yeah yeah because of the exchange rate so yeah So it's really hard. Like, I mean, I order a lot of US only things at the library. Like, I get them to buy it. So that way, like, <laughs> Smart. It's, it's, I can read it and then everybody else gets to read it too. Um, but yeah, so um, it's going to be out, I think, the start of September with Pan Macmillan. And Very I'm still cool. waiting to see. I'm going to have a different cover with them. So I'm waiting to see what it'll look like. And the UK, I just found out that it's going to be the same date, like the October 12th, again with a different cover. And I think that's. That's so fun. Wow. The links for that are going to start feeding out, they said. So it'll be on like Amazon.co.uk and things soon. Very cool. So, oh, yeah, have but so I many have... cover reveals and just such great Instagram fodder. So fun. I'm, I'm so excited. I haven't seen either of the other covers yet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Like the UK and Australia are a little bit slower than the US. Like I've just got my Australian copy edits and then I sort of said, I'm trying to line it up with when I do my U.S. pass pages. And they're like, oh, that's fine. We don't need it until April. And I'm like, that feels so, like, late <laughs> compared to everything. But I'm just, it, it'll work out. It's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, um, September here, which is cool because my birthday's in September. So I love Yay. that I'll be able to, like, have, have a book out at my birthday. Well, birthday so present. fun. A yeah. little birthday present, I say. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the biggest birthday present. Well, Lindell, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. So yeah. Much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And we're reserving <laughs> you already for um, episode part two uh, after yes. the first book's coming yeah. out. So sounds good. Yes. Yay. That will be such a good conversation. I'll, I'll fangirl all over the place <laughs> by that point. So that. <laughs> Yep. Fun times. All right. Well, thanks right. so much again. And we will uh, we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes for everything so people can pre-order yes. and add you on Goodreads. And if they're cool. in other countries, they can add all of them. Just get all of them, everybody. Like, buy Just one. Co- you're yeah. going to want, want the Australian version and the UK version and the US version. You want a little collection. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I'm looking for it. And it's going to be like a Russian version, too. So I'm very excited to have like, a show with all of the different Yay. ones. Yes. <laughs> so cool. That's exciting. Well, congratulations, and we can't wait, and we know readers are going to be really excited, too. Thanks so much for talking with us. Bye! Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Basic Pitches. We super appreciate it, as always, and we super appreciate Lyndall for coming on to the show and talking about her wonderful book, Lake's Edge. It was fantastic. I promise I fangirled so much over it, and I can't wait for the sequel. I promise not to bug Lyndall for more information until it comes out. I want to reiterate the date for her U.S. release has changed. It is September 28th, 2021. That gives you a couple more weeks to pre-order it. You especially want to do that uh, um, if you've heard the news about the 
publishing backups and that sort of thing in the factory. So definitely, definitely pre-order that right now. Get that on your shelves. You're going to want it. The cover is gorgeous. The book is gorgeous. The characters are gorgeous. The romance is gorgeous. It's everything I ever love. It's everything we talked about in the podcast. Go get it right now. And I will see you next time.